Good morning. You got your Bibles? Hope you do, whether the, you've got one of those old-timey ones that's got paper in it or it's on your, it's on your computer. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. As we enter into the third week, as we've taken a little bit of break, we are actually in the middle of working through Psalms. Every Psalm, every Sunday, we've taken a break to look at community. We're in the third week of that. We find ourselves at Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Just a little bit of an aside before we get started. I just wanted to, to, to brag on you for a minute. As, as some may not know and some do, we've got a new roof. is in the process, almost, almost finished on that side of the building. And so when they took it up to the slats, to the wood, everything that was on the roof came through the slats and covered the whole building like everything and uh and so we were a little bit concerned about that and uh, just a blessing to me personally just to see our people begin to show up and clean and by friday morning the place was probably cleaner than it was when we moved in two years ago and uh, so praise the lord for that and, and praise the lord for you so we have displayed what gospel community community looks like in acts chapter two we've seen it the scripture is clear. And so last week we began to look, well, okay, let's do that. But what's necessary is to know foundationally, what is this built on, this, this new community? We said last week that it's built on union in Christ. And now we're looking towards oneness in Christ. And so... Here's what I want to do. We usually stand and read Scripture, and we're going to do that. But um, I know many of us at the beginning of the year, we had multiple meetings this morning, and maybe you had to have a meeting with your children before you came to church. I don't know. Uh, but I need to pray, and I think we need to. So let's, let's go to the Lord in, in prayer before we read His Word. Lord, uh, You have commanded Your people not to forsake the assembling of themselves together because we are a family and we are your people and we have gathered today. Oh, the songs of the saints as they worship their king, as they worship their brother, they worship their God together. And so God, we need you this morning. We need the the troubles in our minds and in our hearts and the stress of this world and all the losses and the crosses that we have carried and ventured and ran into this week. Lord, we lay them at the cross now. And we open your word. Speak to your people. For it was your son who purchased. Amen. Stand with me. Ephesians 2. So we look at verse 11. Ephesians 2, beginning to verse 11. We'll read down to verse 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once so far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the, His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we have both access in one Spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You may be seated. So, Acts 2. We read it. And so what happens next? The rainbow comes over the church and all the unicorns come into the church and they prance around and frolic until Jesus comes back. Is that what happened? No, keep reading Acts. You know what happens nearly almost immediately? Conflict. Problems especially when God, God started saving those people. Remember who those people were? The Gentiles. Acts 15.1. God started saving the Gentiles, and some of the Jews started saying, unless you get circumcised, you can't be saved. Galatians chapter 2. I don't know if you remember that event. I'm sure you do. Peter's eating with a bunch of Gentiles and some Jews come in the room. He starts feeling a little bit uncomfortable and out of fear. He backs away from the Gentiles. And, and Paul, being the, the man that he was, said, what did he say? Well, I understand what you're feeling. I understand where you're coming from. No. What did he tell him? You're out of step with the gospel. That's what he said to him. You're out of step. In other words, this issue of Racial reconciliation and social reconciliation is ultimately a gospel issue. Here's the question. That Paul was pushing on Peter. What are the terms our members accepted into the church? Something else other than faith in Christ? Galatians 5.4 Paul says it best. Galatians 5 verse 4 says, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So then, on our radar today, social justice and racial reconciliation. So here's the question. You think that's possible outside the gospel? It's not. It's not. It's the point that I want you to see today. But inside the gospel, 
It is a reality. And if it is not a reality in our life today, then we are in sin and we must repent. This is what union with Christ brings. We see in verse 11, therefore, that's why we looked last week at Ephesians 1, so we can understand what was before the therefore. In Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 14, there is a past, present, and future reality to our redemption. And if you would now look in Galatians and look even in chapter 2, in verses 1 to 5, if you recall, there's a past, present, future reality. Your redemption laid out there. You were dead, but God made you alive. Grace now and grace more in the future. So we have the same here as we look at 11 to 22. There is a charge to look at your past, understand who you are in the present, and understand what's ahead for the future. Here's the main idea today. Those who are in Christ are no longer divided. Instead, listen, it's important two words. They are inseparably connected to one another now and forever. This is not pie in the sky by and by. What Jesus did on the cross, what we just got through singing, changes our reality right now. Verse 11. We remember that we once were separated from God and each other. This is what he's doing. He says, therefore, remember... You were at one time Gentiles. You Gentiles, you were separated. You were the uncircumcision. This word remember is is an important teaching tool in the Bible. God used it. Exodus 13.3, Moses used it. Listen to that. Exodus 13, verse 3 says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by the strong hand of the Lord you were brought from this place. Remember the Passover that was instituted was all about remembering. When we came to the table last week, it was about remembering. He says, you Gentiles, you need to remember. That's ongoing. You need to recall again and keep on recalling in your mind who you were. See, the Gentiles were at a disadvantage. They they were in a bad situation in five different ways here that's laid out here. First, it says, they remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. In other words, the best way to think about this is think about who you are and remember that that wasn't always true. We love Romans, love chapter 8. Don't you just love Romans 8? Love chapter 8, verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here's your reality. At one time you were separated. That's what he's telling them to do. Remember, turn with me if you've got Romans already there. Turn with me over one chapter to Romans 9. Look with me at verse 4. It's so clear what he's trying to point out to the Gentiles. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. That's a problem if you're a Gentile. And that's, that's, that, that gets it all right there. That's what he's saying in it. Ephesians, the problem. 
You were without Christ. You were without citizenship. You see that? Remember that you were one times Gentiles. The uncircumcision. See, circumcision separated them physically. There was a separation. You are my people. The Jews called the Gentiles the uncircumcision. It was derogatory. In other words, they figured out who they needed to despise by who was circumcised or not. <laughs> that was the Jews' problem. The, the Gentiles, which in Ephesus would have been made up of, of Greeks and Romans, many others, it repulsed them to think about circumcision. thought it was ridiculous. See, the hostility was there. Verse 12 says, remember that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Turn with me, I think one of the sobering passages, loving passages, but truthful. I think we need to understand this. John chapter 4, verse 22. This is, he wasn't, understand before we meet this, Jesus wasn't throwing out some kind of racial slur here. He was simply telling them the fact of salvation history. When he was talking to the woman at the well, remember, he said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. This is why it was important last week to understand. Because you see, God had chosen to be known in Israel as He had not chosen to be known anywhere else. They were outside of that. That's what he's saying. And so they were without the covenant of promise. You were stranger to the covenants of promise. This is connected to citizenship. They were foreigners. Strangers. We hear a lot about that in the news every day, don't we? He's saying, that's who you were. Don't forget that. You need to remember that. You are a stranger, an alien, that in every way that counts for eternity. Genesis 12, 1-3 did not apply to you. They were outside of the covenant of promise. This is the bad news, isn't it? So turn with me to a passage we read a lot that we love, Exodus 34. We like to read this passage and stop before we get to the but. <laughs> this is what he's getting the Gentiles to deal with, is he's getting to deal with on one side of the but of the Bible or the other. <laughs> New Testament always, but always ends up being good. Listen to this. Exodus 34, verse 6 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. To be on that side of the butt is to be, have big problems. And here's your reality, here's my reality, here's the Gentiles' reality. There was a time when God in His holiness should have destroyed you in your sin, and He should have destroyed me, but God. This is the place that is without hope. That's what He says. You are without hope, without God. There's no hope of peace. 
because they had no knowledge of Jesus Christ. So they had no firmly anchored assurance of their salvation. That's what hope is. You can look up the passages later. Romans 4.18, Romans 5.5, both says this. Biblical hope transcends your situation and hope never disappoints. In other words, hope doesn't live in shame. It doesn't put shame on us. Hope gives us a firmly anchored hope in our salvation that transcends anything that happens in this life. And there was a time when the Gentiles and us had no hope. Look what else he says. He said, you were without God in this world. Without God. He said, remember, let's put it all together now. Remember that at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, in verse 12, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. And you say, hold on a second. Weren't most of those folks polytheists? Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, Ephesus had the God of Diana there. Pagans, you know, Greeks, Romans. But they were without the knowledge of the one true God. And this is where the promises are connected. This is where the covenants were connected. This is where the hope was connected. They were without knowledge of the one true God. Here's what he's saying. So if you are without God, you are without everything, even though you may clutch with the American dream in both hands. You were, they were a time that they were outside of Christ. James 1.17, everything good and perfect comes from the Father. And if you don't have the Father, you have nothing. That's what he's saying. He said, remember that, Christians. That's what he's saying. He said, you need to pause for a second. If you've got a problem with that person across the street, you need to pause for a second. You need to remember that if there was one time you was in deep trouble. You were without Christ. You were without citizenship. You were foreigners to the promise of the Messiah. You were lived in a hopeless condition in your sin. But now... That's the bad news. Remember that there was bad news. But now we are reconciled to God and each other through the blood of Christ. Verse 13. Verse 13 is the banner over this whole passage. But now in Christ Jesus, you who weren't who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what he's saying. But now brothers and sisters. But now, all that has been replaced. It has been reversed. That's what he said in Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of with His great love with which He loved us. What was the instrument that changed everything? That's why it's Hard for you to come here on a Sunday and not hear about the blood of Christ. Because that's what changed it. Look at the text. In Christ Jesus, you were brought near by the blood of Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews is rather tough to study through. But all the richness that's in Hebrews, if you know your Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 9. Look down with me in Hebrews 9 to verse 22. Un indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You see, there was one time the Gentiles didn't know that. 
They didn't know. Now they do. Now, verse 24, Christ has entered into the holy places. Not into a holy place made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Look, verse 26. But as it is, He, Christ, has suffered once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. That's what changed everything. And that's what brought those who were far away near. Verse 13. You once were far off, but now you have been brought. Listen to me this morning. What he's teaching us today as we go to reunion in Christ, to oneness in Christ, is that there's two things happening. Reconciliation with God and introduction into His church. And you cannot miss that. There's two realities to your salvation. Peace with God and introduction enter into God's church. One changes the vertical and gives you the gift of the horizontal. Church, there's a double side to this reconciliation. And both of it is a gift that happened because of the blood of Christ. Philippians 3 says it so well. Philippians 3 verse 20. Chapter 3 verse 20. Listen to this. This is what we now all have. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like a glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We now share the same present and same future reality. Our citizenship has changed because of the blood of Christ. We now have hope. As we await our Savior, who we did not know, now knows us, and now we know Him. Many of you know John Newton's story. He was a slave trader, and by his own testimony, a wretch of wretches. But God saved him. He became a preacher of the gospel. I was talking to someone one time about despair. Despair as it relates to the work of ministry. And he, somebody asked Newton if he did not despair of the salvation of some of these wretched people around him. Newton replied, I, I never did despair since God saved me. You see, he lived his life always remembering. That's what it is to remember. We remember who we were. We remember what we have become because of Christ. And we expect to see the same thing in other people's life until he comes. Verse 14 says, he now himself is our peace. Back to Ephesians 2. He himself is our peace. Look at what he's done. Who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The emphatic there is he. He himself. He didn't send somebody else. Jesus came himself. And what in your flesh separated you from him and each other, now in Christ's flesh has brought us together with him and each other. John 14, 27 simply says, Jesus said, peace, I live with you. My peace, I give to you. I don't give you the same peace that the world gives. 
So don't be afraid. So what is this wall in verse 14? Is it racism? Is it classism? That's there. That's symptomatic. Here, most people think what he's causing us to think about in that culture because it was a visual reality of their reality and the Jews' reality and a picture of God was the temple courtyard. Because what existed in the temple courtyard was these concentric rings. They were a dividing wall. One thing my daddy told me a long time ago is like, if, you walk, if you're going down in the country and there's this long dirt road and there's a no trespassing sign on both sides of the driveway, don't go down there. <laughs> now, if you're the police, you go down there if you want to. But Stephen, don't go down there. What is that no trespassing telling me? You're not inside the family, so don't you come down here. If you come down here, there might be a problem. Jewish, the Jewish historian Josephus said the, the wall dividing the Jews from the Gentiles was marked at intervals, intervals by stones and inscriptions stating that no foreigner was permitted to enter the Jewish enclosure under penalty of death. And if you went a little further, there was a veil that no one, Jew nor Gentile, was allowed to enter. There was hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And listen, everybody had hostility before God. And Christ, by the blood, changed it all. There's two characteristics of peace that you need to understand. First, he, des he destroyed the hostility. He destroyed this dividing wall. Most people just see the temple courtyard as a picture of the Old Testament system. And you've got to listen to me close here because there's preachers that have got in trouble by saying the, the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments don't matter. That's not what we're saying at all. That's not what verse 15 says when it says that he removed the dividing wall by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. The word there abolished means to be freed. So listen real closely. Christ annulled the Torah system as a means of relating to God as a covenant community. You see, the Old Testament tells us how God related to His people and how His people must relate to God. That was fulfilled in Christ. And He dictates how His covenant community relates to God and each other. He fulfilled it. And now it's all about Him no one can come to Christ by means of a Jewish code, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Galatians 3.21 says this even clearer. That's why we have to go to Scripture to understand Scripture. If not, we'll usually stick our foot in our mouth and have to go back and say that was wrong. <laughs> Let me go back and read the Bible. Galatians 3.21 says this. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Explanation point there in your Bible if you look at that. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian for Christ or all sons of God through faith. In other words, we are freed. 
freed. And so we hear all of this directed towards the Gentiles, and we may be tempted to say, but, yep, preacher, but what about them Jews? You know, they had all that stuff, and they, they still didn't get it right. They rejected the king. Hold on. When you start doing, when you start doing that, here's what we're doing. We're blame-shifting. So let's hit the pause button and understand what he's making the Gentiles do. That unless they're willing to remember who they were and what Christ did, and unless, unless you're willing to deal with your own mess, the cost of that is reconciliation. The cost of not being able to look at yourself and deal with yourself before God and each, each other is peace with God and unity with each other. Jesus was not interested, listen, Jesus was not interested in just creating a climate where people can tolerate each other. He wasn't. It's not what He's doing. Jesus didn't come to die so that me and you could just put up with each other. It's not what He means. He said He came to die that He might create in Himself one new man in a place of two. And that's a big difference. It's not simply hope for eternity. This is our reality right now. Listen to what the Scripture is saying this morning. He's saying through the blood of the cross, He created a new humanity that takes the place of two, and they become one, and they called it the church. The church is a new humanity, a classless society, no divisions, perfect unity. Galatians 6.15 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Go back now to Ephesians 2, look at verse 16. I want you to see two characteristics. The first one was he, he tore down the dividing wall between us and God and between us and each other. The second one, he gives us a new corporate identity. He gives us a new identity collectively. He might, verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cost, thereby killing the hostility. Do you see it both? He killed the hostility and he brought us in one body. That's what peace looks like. So you've got to see this. That's why biblical theology, to understand the storyline of the Bible, is important. Jesus was the seed of a woman. Genesis 3.15 was promised that one day Jesus would crush the head of Satan. According to Galatians 3, Jesus is the seed of Abraham. The seed of a woman, the seed of Abraham, came in the flesh. And He did exactly what He said to do. The two were created one. What he's doing is creating something. The races were reconciled. The Jews and the Gentiles were reconciled by the cross because in the cross, God brought them in to himself. And when you look out and see, what you see is other people not like you that he's also reconciled. And at that moment, you are one with them. They are your brothers and sisters because he paid for it. This is what we preach. This is the gospel we preach. Verse 17, and he came to preach, peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Quoting Isaiah 57, 19. It says basically the same thing. It says, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. 
working in his church. He's bringing peace. What does peace do when it tears down the wall, when it gives us our new corporate identity, understanding that we are one in him? It gives us all access. You see it? For through him we both, we both, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is not simply saying that we have liberty to approach God. It's more than that. You're remembering that at one time you had no knowledge of God. Not just access, no knowledge, no intimacy, no, no living in His presence, no grace, only justice in our future. This is not just liberty to approach. This is an introduction into His presence where we all abide. How can there be racism if we're all abiding in Christ? Answer is, there's not supposed to be. Somebody's in sin because He paid for us to be one. We are introduced into a place where we abide now and only grows into eternity. We live in grace because He has given us access through peace, through the blood of Christ. Wonderful news. But listen very clearly today. Where you find a family at odds with each other. Where you see countries at war. Where you see marriages on the brink of divorce. You can count on it. There's somebody in that situation, not at Calvary. Because at Calvary, you are reminded who you were. And you are reminded who you are now. And you are reminded that when God did that, He brought you into a family. And that every nation, tribe, and tongue, and every color is one day going to be standing around the throne as one family with one head. His name is Jesus. Listen, to embrace Christ, removing our hostility, and not be willing to show the same grace to our brothers and sisters is to scorn the very cross we cling to. To embrace a segregated life is to deny the unifying gift of the cross to all peoples. You read that again. To embrace Christ removing our hostility and not be willing to show the same grace to our brothers and sisters is to scorn the very cross we cling to. And to embrace a segregated life is to deny the unifying gift of the cross to all peoples. He came and preached to people who are far and people who are near and He made them all one because we all needed peace. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That gets us all. So Paul wanted to make sure that at this point that we understood what he's saying. I love people who are clear. You can't say Paul wasn't clear. I just wish, don't you wish you could have a conversation with him? So he wants to make sure in verses 19 and 22 that we understand that we are supposed to grow together as the dwelling place of God. And so he says, so then, so then, this is the obvious conclusion, <laughs> so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the obvious reality. The logical conclusion to union in Christ is to oneness with a people. This was always the plan. 
by union with Christ, redeemed people form a corporate body that is a dwelling place of God. By union with Christ, redeemed people form a corporate body that is a dwelling place of God. And this corporate body is called the church. Notice the text. Look at verse 19. Paul doesn't tell the Gentiles that you are fellow, fellow citizens with the Jews. You see that? Who does he say they're fellow citizens with? Look at verse 19. Who does he say? The saints. This is the new people of God. He calls them saints. They are the church. This is the new people. It's not three classes of Christians. Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians and non-Christians. There's believers. There's the saints. And these are built on something. You see verse 20? Built on the foundation of the apostles. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Christ demolished an old structure. And he is the foundation for the new structure. Him. And so to make sure we understand that I love you know you got a good teacher on your hands. When they start using illustrations. He, he gives us some images here. Three of them to understand. What it means. To be a dwelling place of God, together, inseparable. First, he uses the picture of a kingdom. We can see this with fellow citizens. But you are fellow citizens. Remember who you were. You were strangers, you were aliens. But now you're fellow citizens. Notice what they're built on. You see it? On the foundation of the apostles prophets, the apostles' teachings. So don't get this wrong this morning. Listen. You are not the kingdom. You are not the kingdom. Christ's rule and reign is the kingdom. We are a new people who live under His rule and reign. We are people who live in the kingdom. There are only people in the kingdom and people that are rebellious against the kingdom. This is why unity can't be mandated Biblical unity is always founded on truth and given by God. That's why without gospel there can be no reconciliation because, because there's, there's only truth that's been perverted, which is a lie. Rome tried this, you see. Rome tried to impose, impose unity by force. Took all different people and forced them with their might into their conformity. And what happened to Rome? They crumbled from the inside out. There was no truth. There is no one true God. There can be no unity. But we now, that's what he's saying, but we are fellow citizens under the rule and reign of Christ. And according to what the Bible says, this kingdom can't be shaken or destroyed, that it will prevail. So when we begin to understand, and we'll talk about more next couple weeks, the communion of the saints, we are talking about people who have entered as citizenships under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Members of a body in which he is the head. So we see that we are members of a kingdom, and we are also, look, members of a family. His fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see, to become a member of your family, I either have to be born into your family or I have to be adopted into your family. That's the only way it happens. 
birth, adoption. Talked a little bit about that last week. But do you remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? Remember what he said in John 3? You must be what? Born again. 1 Peter 1.23 uses the exact same born again language when he says, For you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You see, your children, if you have children, are not the same as you. They're not the same as you. They're not the same life. But they bear the same some spiritual markers, some genetic markers. Your children, if you have children, or if you have had children, they bear some genetic markers, whether you like it or not, and whether they like it or not. They bear some semblances of their parents. And just like biological children bury the mark of their parents, we put those on our children, so the Holy Spirit has put the spiritual markers in us. And we who have been brought into Christ through the blood of Christ have spiritual markers now. We are filled with the Spirit of God and we identify with each other because we are one with our Father and our brother in Christ. We are family. We are not going to be family. We are not like family. We are family. This is why the church is holy. The church is holy because we bear the spiritual mark of our Father. He goes on to expand this image from fellow citizens of a kingdom, members of a family, and now he goes to temple. Do you see it? Verse 20 and 21. We see verse 20 being built. Verse 21 we see being joined together and growing. It says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the, and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. So we get this picture and as I as I studied you know you get the picture if you look at it in multiple places this is an image that's used used in many places you get to see where we're a building okay the living stones but as this focus gets clearer what comes into focus is a temple what he's saying that we as the church are a temple Together. This is corporate language. As a people, we put our faith in Christ. And then we are brought into a living, dynamic, spiritual temple. And one that's always growing. This is the first time, if you look at the word, joined together, some translations may have fitted together. That's present tense, passive voice. That means it's happening right now and you're not doing it. Passive. Someone's doing it to you. We are being fitted together. I love that picture. Present tense growing right now. The temple is the church of God. It's purchased by His blood. And listen, there's three very clear realities of this temple. This temple has a foundation. It has a foundation. It's not me. It's not you. It's not Battleground. It's not Parkwood. It's not First Baptist. It's, what is it built on? It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Remember Acts 2.42? What did they dedicate themselves to? To the apostles' teaching. 
1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Do you remember what Paul said when he laid out the very simple gospel? I delivered to you what I also received. Galatians says that that reception was from Jesus Christ himself. The apostles received their teaching from Jesus, and that's what they handed down. That's what we give ourselves to. That's the foundation for this spiritual temple. That's why we just don't gather together and you hear my good stories and my opinions. It's not what the church is built on. The church is built on the Word of God. And it has a cornerstone. Do you see it? The cornerstone is Jesus Christ Himself prophesied in Isaiah 28, verse 16. It says, Behold, I am the one who's laid a foundation, a stone, a tested stone, a precious stone for a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. A cornerstone is important. It's part of the foundation. It set the angle of the building. The temple has a foundation. The temple has a cornerstone. The temple has living stones. Living stones. just want you to see these life-changing realities of the living stone. I'm talking about you. You're in Christ. You're a living stone according to Ephesians, according to 1 Peter. You see, the stones are placed in the structure and are chosen. They're chosen in shape for their position by God. This is the image. Stones are, are placed in their relationship to Jesus Christ. They're placed in their relationship to the cornerstone. The stones are by very nature of the building. Different shapes, different sizes... Sometimes even different materials because they serve different functions. One temple shaped for their individual unique size and place within this temple by God for a function that He gives. Listen, stones are linked together. Got no building with one stone. You've got no building. You've got no church with one stone. These living stones are linked together by God, chosen by Him for their place. We're not supposed to be like each other. There's unity and diversity, but only through Christ we are linked together. 1 Peter 2, we're not going to go there. It says the same thing. It's this picture. We are mortared together in Christ. Ever. You see, if you can't understand this, you can't understand the church, and neither can you understand your marriage. You're mortared together by Christ. Climax, verse 22. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is speaking corporately. Corporate unity, corporate union, corporate harmony. That's what we mean by oneness. They're built together. This is passive too. Somebody else is building it. They're being built together by God through the Spirit. Got good news today. Turn with me to Revelation 21. Verse 22. Here's what's ahead, brothers and sisters. And I saw no temple in the city. 
for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. One day when, when the new heaven and the new earth come and all of this is culminated, there won't be a temple made with hands because we will be with Him together forever. And He says that doesn't start when you die. It starts right now when God saves your soul. He puts you in His church and you are united to Him. Are you embracing that today? Are you embracing that? God's plan to live together. So I just want us to do a simple exercise. And I just want this application is very simple. You really, I really want you to try to apply this this week in your life as you read your Bible. So turn with me to 1 Peter 2 verse 9. This is just one example. Just a question to get us started. When you read Paul's letters, you first need to ask yourself, who do you write that letter to? See, if you don't begin to understand that, you're just liable to misapply it. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Who are the you? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Stop. Is that individual or is that corporate? It's corporate. This is the you. That you, corporately, collectively, as one, may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's doing the same thing. Peter is, once you were not a people, do you remember? But now, you are God's people, corporately. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. Our desire for holiness, he moves into that in verse 11 in this text, to abstain. Things at war against your soul. Live honorably. Live holy. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Who did he write that to? He wrote it to the church. God help us. If you think you can live for Christ by yourself, because that's not God's economy. He did not plan it. He did not intend it. He did not save you to live an isolated life. He saved you to be one with Christ and one with His people. Are you embracing that today? If not, I urge you to. I told one of the guys back there, I think it was Timmy, his wife's not here, he misses her, he's just gone for vacation or trip somewhere, I don't know. But me and him felt the same way, you see. Being married is hard work, but I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. Being part of God's church, living with God's people is not easy. It's good. That's what he designed it to be. I love this. It's in your growth group lesson this week. To see that true gospel community is found in one anothering. By one anothering, we mean discipleship and love among the members of the church of God. So my challenge for you as we close the service is just to do this. As you read your Bibles this week, as you read some of these wonderful letters, try to read them corporately. Try to understand them that without body around you, that some of these things are not meant to be done alone. 
The Christian life is not most to be lived alone. We live in holiness together. Does that have individual aspects? Absolutely. But oh, how we long to be together. Last question before I close. Who do you need to be reconciled to based on the blood of Christ? We have people in our lives. You're a part of a body. And to not seek to forgive and be forgiven affects us all, brothers and sisters. And so let us seek forgiveness where there needs to be forgiven. Let us show grace the way we've been given grace. Let us give mercy because we have been given mercy. And so let us do it together until He comes. Let's pray. So God, as we get ready to sing about the freedom we remember I remember being a slave to sin, unable to stop myself from doing things because I loved it. I was a slave to it, but God, you were rich in your mercy toward us. And now we have become slaves of righteousness. We call that freedom. God, we as your people together gathered together today now simply like to stand together praise you for the freedom we've been given through your son and we acknowledge that you pouring your wrath out on them to give us freedom so, Lord, we respond the only way that we can. With a broken spirit and a contrite heart, we say, Lord, we will worship you through all of life. How we live, how we give, how we, pray, how we go, how we speak to each other, how we love our spouses. Receive our worship now, Lord, as we now respond to the Word of God our very last.